Welcome to Victory Church's online podcast library. We hope you enjoy this message today. You know, learning to hear from God is a huge part of um, your Christian experience. Learning to hear His voice. You think, well, may I never hear His voice. Well, it, it's, it's, it starts with the atmosphere that you live in. That's where it starts. What's the atmosphere that you're familiar with? And you affect that atmosphere, first of all, by reading the scriptures more consistently and allowing your worship life to, to develop. You know, if you think, well, you know, someone says, well, you know, I, I woke up and the Lord was, a scripture was in my, in my, my head. Well, you don't know any scriptures. So there's not going to be any scriptures in your head. But you know other stuff, right? And other stupid stuff will break in your head and, and fear and unbelief and lust and, and temptation, all that other stuff. So we can't, we can't live that way. We have to live in another world, feasting, delighting, you know, and, and so, you know, we, we worship, you know, in our church. We believe in worship for extended periods of time, especially, you know, Sunday night. It's an opportunity for that to happen, to come and, and receive and come and drink. If you can't receive now, tell me which part of the week are you doing it? So this is, this is the moment. This is the moment. These next few minutes, open up and take in, drink in. Just drink. Full on drinking, okay? Just take it in. I'm going to share some scripture with you tonight. I'm going to continue reading from First Peter, um, where we were talking about this morning. And I'm going to read the same passage out of Philip's translation, J.B. Phillips' great New Testament translation. And he said it like this. He says, you are God's chosen generation. We talked about that. I'm his chosen treasure, right? Say, I'm his treasure. Say, I'm his chosen treasure. Did you figure out why he picked you yet? Yeah, not really any good reason. He just he just wanted to. He thought there's a good opportunity to glorify my name through that messed up dude right there. You're my chosen treasure. And then he made us his royal priesthood. Royalty. Royalty. I am a child of the king. I'm a child of the king of kings. I'm a royal priest unto the Lord. He says we're a royal priesthood. We're a holy nation. That's, that's a pretty, that is a pretty convicting term right there. We are his holy nation. His holy nation. Oh, everyone say holy. We are his holy nation. His peculiar people, and Phillips goes on to say, all the old titles of God's people now belong to you. These are the titles that the, the Lord used concerning the children of Israel in the Old Testament. He said, all these old titles are of God's people now belong to us, the Gentiles. We've been grafted in. It's for you now to demonstrate. It's for you now to demonstrate the goodness of him. Has called you out of darkness into his amazing light. You know, some people will never, ever, ever know Jesus until they see him in you. They'll never, ever. They won't come to church. Not a chance. You know, it's, it's amazing. If you go into a place and 
a city and you start talking about, you know, your sphere of influence. You start, I remember, you know, going to Dallas one time and talking about to different people about different churches. They never heard of these churches. Never heard of them. They live in a different world. They talk about the Dallas Cowboys and whatever their basketball team is. And they know the whatever Mavericks or whatever it is. They know all that stuff, but they have no clue about the churches. And it's the same in New Orleans. You know, the, the random person may know, oh, that's the place where they do feed the multitudes, or that's the random place where they have the play or whatever, but, but beyond that, they have no idea. The, the only contact they're going to have is, is you. And then... We're his peculiar people. It's for you now to demonstrate the goodness of him who's called you out of darkness into his amazing light. In the past, you were not a people at all. Now, this is what we're, we're going to start talking about tonight. You were not a people at all, but now you're the people of God. In the past, you had no experience of his mercy, but now it is intimately yours. So, yeah, so we're now the people of God. We, we touched on that this morning, and we, we talked about how, you know, we have the only answer as the people of God to answer the world's questions and dilemmas. The social justice warriors don't have it. They want to. They really want to. But they don't have an answer to the racial dilemma that our nation is facing. They, they don't and they can't. They never will. The only answer to the racial strife and contention that's tearing our world and our nation apart, the only answer is the power of God, the power of His Spirit, and people that have been transformed by this new life in Christ. When you become part of His Holy nation. Only the holy nation. Only the holy nation can be a place of racial diversity. Only the holy nation can be a place of safety where people can come together, one people under God from every tribe and tongue and worship God. It's only in the kingdom of God can you find that place and that atmosphere. You're not going to find it anywhere else. You can't legislate it. You can't educate it into people. You can't train it into people. There has to be a new creation. We have to become part of a, a new breed, a new race of people that are now joined together in a new nation of people. And we become the holy people of God who actually love one another. Can somebody say amen? It's the truth. It's the, it's the lesson. We mentioned it this morning. It's the lesson of Azusa Street. So this new nation has a new government with the sovereign rule of God. A child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. And the government will rest on his shoulders. The government of this nation is resting on the shoulders of Jesus. It's not on my shoulders. It's not on your shoulders. This is a, this is a government. The only government that you can ever, ever, ever trust is this government. The sovereign government of Jesus of Nazareth. Amen. So we have a new government. We have a new king. This new king is the king of kings. This new king is a, a warrior king. He's the head of our government. 
John said it like this. And I saw heaven opened and behold, a white horse and he who sat on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and he wages war. He is a warrior. David was a type of Christ and David was a warrior. His his elder brother, Jesus of Nazareth, is a warrior king. And he rules the universe by the word of his power. His eyes are a flame of fire and on his head are many crowns. And he has a name written on him, which no one knows except himself. He's clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty, and on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He is ruling the earth today. You know, people may not like it and they may not, it may not look like it, but he is running the show. He is. Yep. And it's all going to work out for our benefit and our good. Yeah, it is. Going on here, he says, so we also have, we're part of this holy nation. This holy nation has a new song, a song to sing that no one else can sing. Revelations 5, 9 and 10, they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to break its seals. And you were slaughtered and you purchased people for God with your blood from every tribe, language, people and nation. You've made them into a kingdom and priests to our God. And they will reign upon the earth. This holy nation will reign with Christ. And as we reign, we have a new song to sing. It's the song of the Lamb. It's a song that angels can't sing. This is the song of the redeemed. Amen. And we are also a holy nation. Exodus 19, 5 and 6. Oh, for the days when we could be called a holy nation. When there can be purity and holiness in the midst of his church. Now then. If you'll indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples. For all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. Wow. You know, the world is looking. The world is looking for holiness. They don't think they are. They think they're looking for something else. But they're looking for purity. They're looking for integrity. They're looking for a holy nation. They want to belong to a holy nation. The world does. It doesn't look like they do, but they do. Now this, we're going on here. I've got some, um, this is about, um, we're talking about the characteristics of this holy nation. We're speaking the same words. We have a language that the world doesn't have. This is a language of praise and thanksgiving. Second Timothy one thirteen. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you've heard from me, Paul said, in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Now I love this. I've got this blog about about these sound words. Listen carefully. This same language smells of Pentecost. Paul may not be talking of the prayer language here per se, but he's talking about the unity in the spirit in Christ's body that reflects in our language. This corporate language and unity flows from a place of praise. 
We are all, all singing the same song, the song of redemption, which causes our very lives to come together in harmony. These sound words also flow out of a thankful heart. These sound words are healthy words. Having a heart full of thanksgiving to the Lord lifts us out of the despair of this life and joins us to the multitude of thankful people in his kingdom. Hallelujah. Now, this is how Jonathan Edwards says it. He says they have the same language to God in prayer and praise, expressing the same humility and repentance and confessing their sins. Expressing the same adoration, admiring the sense of God's glory and excellency, expressing the same humble submission and resignation, the same thankfulness and like manner showing forth God's praises, expressing the same faith and humble dependence on the mercy and all sufficiency of God, expressing the same love and longing desires after God. The saints in all ages speak the same language. That of David and the saints of old, which we have an account of in the word of God. The spirit of God teaches the saints the same language in their prayers. Their prayers are the breathings of the same spirit. They have the same language one to another in things pertaining to God and Christ and things in a spiritual nature. They, in like manner, use their tongues religiously and to promote religion one to another. They express the same sense of spiritual things, savoring of the same experience. They have the same language in general to the rest of the world in instructing, counseling, and reproving. There's a unique sound flowing out of the church in these dark days. It's a voice that is filled with joy, thanksgiving, and Christ himself. He is our treasure, our portion. He's the subject of our songs and of our testimony. The enemy tried to shut our voices and our praises over this last year. I don't think that it has worked. Praise has become the language of the church in these unusual times. Yeah, so yes. Yeah, what language? What language are we speaking? You know, what language are you speaking? And, you know, this is this is something that, um, you know, that we talk about fr- uh, quite often, as a matter of fact, you know, th- you begin to talk like the people you hang out with. Wow. You begin to talk like the people you hang out with. Let me take that a little further. You talk about the same things the people you hang out with talk about. Now, I, I guess the question you have to ask is not, is do they always talk about Jesus? But the question you have to ask is, do they ever talk about Jesus? Ever. Is that ever the conversation? If that's never the conversation, find some new friends quick. You're hanging around with the wrong crowds. Because when you, when you start getting around that holy conversation, you start having a, a holy language. You start talking about the things of God. You start talking about the testimony of Jesus. Prayer becomes part of your conversation. People being born again becomes part of your conversation. Worship becomes part of your conversation. 
As a matter of fact, praying in tongues will not be too unusual for people in that world. It becomes part of your conversation. You begin to have a different kind of vocabulary because you're part of a different nation. You are, you've been brought out. You are not a people, but now you are the people of God. You are not, you're, you were once part of a different nation. Now you're part of a, a holy nation. This holy nation of God. Now this, that was the holy nation. Now this other phrase that Peter used, this is, this is another powerful um, phrase. So he's, he says we're a, a chosen generation. We're a royal priesthood. We're a holy nation. And then we're a peculiar people, he said. Now, you were chosen. Okay, this is now. Here's the deal. This this peculiar. You have to you have to pay close attention to this because this is a different kind of peculiar. Definitions change. The, only the King James Bible uses that phrase peculiar. Well, the Phillips also used it, but it's an old it's an old um, word that we don't use in the same way anymore. So let's let's see how we use this word nowadays. Some Bible passages seem to be seared in our minds. From the King James Bible. This is one of those phrases. Peter says in this verse that we are God's peculiar people. The meaning of the word peculiar has changed over the years. In this usage, it does not mean unusual or weird, but it might be said to mean special. We are each unique and special in his sight. The phrase is closely connected to the word chosen. We are uniquely loved and uniquely chosen by God for his purposes. Now, here's Matthew Henry. This is really awesome. His his description of this phrase. He says it's the honor of the servants of Christ that they are God's peculiar people. They are the people of acquisition. He acquired you. You're the people of choice. He chose you. You're the people of his care. He cares for you. You're the people of his delights. He delights in you. These four dignities of all genuine Christians are not natural to them, for their first state is a state of horrid darkness. That's the state we were in before. We were part of a, a dark, dark, ugly world. That's the world we used to live in. But they are effectually called out of darkness into a state of marvelous light Joy, pleasure, and prosperity with this intent in view that they should show forth by words and actions the virtues and praises of him who called them out of darkness. So our life is a beckon now. We're beckoning people to this new, this new nation, this new group of peculiar people that are living in the light of God's glory. We are called out of a dark place in life into the light of God's glory. We are uniquely and peculiarly His. Now, we says it like this. The word peculiar here is used in a way not often seen today. The Greek word means literally to make around. That is to make something and then to surround it with a circle, thus indicating ownership. He owns you. He owns you. He owns you. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. You've been purchased by the blood of Jesus. You are his peculiar one that he selected to be his very own possession. Yeah, so 
it goes on to say, um, the same verb is used in the Septuagint in Isaiah 43, 21, which reads, the people have I formed for myself. The Greek word speaks of a unique, private, personal ownership. A personal ownership of the saints by God. Each saint is God's unique possession. Just as if that saint were the only human being in existence. This is an incredible declaration by people. We are God's property. We are chosen by God to be his personal treasure. I am not only owned by God, I'm loved and treasured by God. I'm his peculiar treasure. He set me apart and says, this one is mine. I'm going to delight in him and I'm going to show my glory in unusual ways, unprecedented ways in this one. He doesn't raise up carbon copies. He raises up peculiar, unique ones. He says, I'm going to show my glory in this one in a unique way. This is a place of safety and a place of incredible blessing. I am God's and I'm on his royal mission. I am one of his peculiar people. So, yeah, I'm part of this. I'm a part of his chosen generation, part of his royal priesthood and part of his holy nation. Now, this gets to the best part. This is what we've been waiting for tonight. First Peter 2.10. For at one time, you were not God's people. Do you remember those days? You weren't God's people. You were doing horrid things. Ugly things. You were saying ugly words. You were living an ugly lifestyle. You weren't living for the glory of God. You were living for, for everything else but that. You're living in a dark world. You're a part of the problem. You're part of this world system. There's only one way to break out of this system. You must be born again. It's the only way out of the world system. For at one time, you were not God's people, but now you are. At one time, you knew nothing of God's mercy because you hadn't received it yet. But now you are drenched with it. Are you drenched with it? That's the question. You, you once knew nothing of God's mercy because you hadn't received it yet, but now you are drenched with it. You know, being drenched with God's mercy is offensive to some Christians. Having enough of his mercy on you where people can't ignore it. This, this is the, the last thing I'm going to, I'm going to share this blog. It's called Drenched. Everyone say drenched. Drenched with mercy. Drenched. Say it again. Drenched. I'm drenched. Sometimes the simplest songs are the best. One of our favorite songs for years at Victory was one of those simple songs written by David Ruiz. It really captured what the Lord began to do in our church. In the summer of 1994, we sang that song again and again, basking in the rain of God's mercy falling in our gatherings. Now, here are the words to this simple song. You can sound like a fool singing these simple words, like a child, or you can be drenched with mercy. 
Mercy is falling. It's falling. It's falling. Mercy, it falls like a sweet spring rain. Mercy is falling. It's falling all over me. Everybody sing. Hey, oh, hey, oh, hey, oh, hey, oh, I receive your mercy. Hey, oh, I receive your rain. Hey, oh, <laughs> his mercy is falling, is falling, is falling. His mercy, it falls like a sweet spring rain. His mercy is falling, is falling all over me. And then he goes into the refrain again. Hey, 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 Jesus. Hey. (laughs) Now, this is the point. This is the point Peter's making in today's verse. All of us stand in constant need of the reviving reign of God's mercy. Peter knew that as well as anyone. It's easy to forget Peter's story amidst all of the power we saw displayed in Peter's life after Pentecost. You remember the story. It was the night Jesus was arrested. Peter had been bragging about how he was going to stand with Jesus until the end. That didn't go so well after the Lord's arrest. All it took was a confrontation with a servant girl. And Peter buckled. In a matter of seconds, he was denying that he knew the Lord, denying he was a disciple, and he regressed into swearing just to emphasize the points. After that failure, Peter thought he was done and his future ministry with Christ was over. How did that ever get turned around? Well, Peter got what he didn't deserve. He got mercy instead of judgment from the Lord. It wasn't but 50 days later on the day of Pentecost that the sweet rain of mercy began to fall on Peter. He he may not have gotten what he deserved. Hopefully, none of us will. Thankfully, the law of reciprocity has been broken by the blood of Jesus. What does that mean? It means I'm not going to get what I deserve. I'm going to get mercy instead. Thank God we're not going to get what we deserved. We don't want our enemies getting what they deserved. We want, to, we want them to get mercy just like we're getting mercy. He may have not gotten what he deserved. Hopefully none of us will. But he received a major dose of mercy. You could say that Peter was drenched with mercy from that day forward. I think it's beginning to rain. His mercy is falling all over me. Visit our website at www.victorychurchnola.com for service times and more information.